Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You could do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Good morning, UBC. I am Nita, and I am the new site strategy chair for Edgewater. And our scripture reading today comes from 2 Peter, verses 11 to 18. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness is at home. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, speaking of this as he does in all his letters. There are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you are forewarned, Beware that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Good morning, UBC Edgewater. That was the hardest thing I had to do just now, was successfully raise that stand, so it's all, (laughs) everything else is gravy. I'm not Aaron James Brown, uh, and this is not my special way of welcoming Aaron in her new role. I'm Colin McDonald, uh, blissfully serving as your children's minister here at UVCH Water, and it's good to be with you. In a journal entry dated June 24th, 1763, John Wesley English theologian and co-founder of Methodism writes, At what time I became a subject to my own will, I cannot ascertain. But from that time in many things I offended, first against my parents, next against God. And that I was preserved from outward evils was not owing to the purity of my own will, but the grace of Christ preventing and overruling me. So like most notes to self, it's a bit of a mixed bag. You have to expect a voiceover to intervene and tell us who to contact if we ourselves experience any of these symptoms. But what's at stake inside this entry is neither good, at least not in the way that we've come to expect good news to be bustled and sprung on us, or bad, for how often in the history of ne'er-do-wells has anyone said pointedly, I'm overruling you, but simply practical methodical even. For that's where Methodism and the United Methodist Church, of which Urban Village is a part, derives its name. You can imagine a guy like Wesley in his way declaring, 
Henceforth, they shall refer to us as methodicals. <laughs> Going back to work, Wesley's brother Charles sort of leaning in. It's a little dry from a branding point of view, isn't it? <laughs> Wesley looks back up. Keychains? Coffee mugs? But in fact, the name comes from a series of backfired insults slung at the Wesley brothers while at Christ Church College, Oxford, where in 1728, Charles, all too aware of his wayward free will, went to his brother for guidance, trading card games and other forms of leisure-deemed diversions for something not unlike the small groups that we know and participate in here at UVC, with perhaps a few notable differences. Well-rounded individuals, they read classical literature during the week, but come Friday, when it was really time to cut loose, they turned to scripture and theology. And just like we do every Sunday, got the party started. As unhinged as they may have been from several onlookers' points of view, their practice was not only rigid but repetitive. Besides Methodists, they were labeled Bible Moths, Holy Club, Sacramentarians, which refers to their overzealous sort of search hunt for weekly communion. Once a month was not enough. And this is my personal favorite, enthusiasts. You're nothing but a bunch of proud and excited folks. <laughs> In other words, this ragtag group was viewed with caution and its ally suspicion. Not so different from our times, however extreme by comparison. But the term Methodist prevailed because either Wesley didn't get jokes or because sour pusses, though they may have been, at least they were regular. At least they were trying to be regular. Weekly sacraments, weekly fasting, daily prayer, and prison visits, these were just a few of their acts seen by many as a means of seeking divine sanction in a key with Catholicism, all but outlawed at that time. But of course, the Methodists would never dream of taking it that easy. No, the work of in or out belongs to God. And guess what? You're in. So why go on? Why not stop there? Why should any of this matter? What do we as Urban Village Church needs to know about United Methodist history and what it means to be Methodist. With the UMC's continued split on issues we don't merely tolerate but celebrate, including the performance of same-sex marriage and appointment of LGBTQ clergy, haven't we heard enough? But many of us, including me, are curious. In light of our recent anti-racist audit, next year's major UMC gathering on gender and sexuality, and of course, Pastor Brittany's new appointment as superintendent of the Chicago Northwestern District, and figured now was a good time, as John Wesley famously put it, I believe, to pump the brakes. <laughs> no, the United Methodist Church is not perfect, but fortunately, we don't gather here to worship institutions. 
but to worship and receive God's grace. And the founders of the United Methodist Church did and still do offer us some tools, some means, some spiritual practices, no matter where we find ourselves to do just that. Anyone here who's been in starting point at UBC has heard and had to clumsily draw or pretend to not hear their name called a picture of a house. John Wesley knew that a house was a powerful and precise metaphor for our entering in to relationship with God. He knew, even back in the 1700s, that a loving presence in our lives was not simply convenient or auspicious, but essential to our mental and spiritual upbringing, both as children and adults. That if we are not assured of our belovedness, we cannot act, much less rest on the assurance of God's love. And he knew that like the houses of our childhood, the brick or wood or guardian's arms, long after it's torn down or parted ways from, becomes over time a home. In his book, Longing for Home, author and theologian Frederick Buechner writes, if it's true that you can't go home again, it is especially true when the home in question has long since gone and been replaced by another and when virtually all the people who used to live there have long since gone too and are totally beyond replacing. But sometimes I can almost believe that if I only knew the trick of it, I could actually go back anyway. That just some one small further moment of memory or will would be enough to transport me. Home looms large in our individual and collective accounts. It's a good place to start, so let's do. There's the porch of the house in Wesley's metaphor, or as Pastor Brittany would put it, the neighbor's porch. Maybe the car driving by the house, depending on where you're at, which represents prevenient grace, or Grace that comes to us. This is the grace Greg was talking about this morning. Naming Christ's presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit among us already. Justifying grace in which, to extend the metaphor, we step inside the house, perhaps shyly untying our shoes or belting off for the kitchen, recognizing and accepting God's grace, and as importantly, accepting our acceptance. And finally, though truth be told, there is no end in sanctifying grace, exploring the house, getting to know God and ourselves, making every effort, as our scripture says, to be found spotless and at peace with God, while bearing in mind that our Lord's patience not our spotlessness or erstwhile deeds means salvation. By means, I read in Peter a reflection of John Wesley's words, an almost desperate search for means of grace, a daily growth in the direction 
of enthusiasm for service, justice, prayer. Imagine trading diversions, distractions, not in order to contend or earn God's favor, but to use our hands to transform here, now, a house into home. I hadn't heard of Wesley's house metaphor by the time I went to church youth summer camp in the summer after eighth grade. And I didn't like football. Not enough to sing songs about it anyway. Finally, I thought, then in the throes of junior high, a group of like-minded peers with whom I can share my love of not wrestling. Instead, I got a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. Are you kidding me? How many people were going to fit in there? And what's more, a yard to play football in. It sounded like a nightmare. <laughs> Morning, afternoon, and night. Was this our prayer before meals, I wondered? Could we, as youth, not be counted on to simply bow our heads in silence? In retrospect, having that summer initiated a game with a fart machine, I can figure probably not. It wasn't until some 14 years later when a different song, this one by Paul McCartney, caught my ear. Someone's knocking at the door, sings McCartney. Except he says it like, Someone's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Someone's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Do me a favor. Open the door. And let them in. Doesn't this sound like something Jesus would say? Someone Jesus would notice? That sinful woman lying at my feet, the one who just wasted an entire bottle of precious perfume, and as Aaron preached a few weeks back, gave Jesus the love and acceptance he needed in that moment. Do me a favor. Go in peace. Without comparing Christ to McCartney, although I can't imagine I'm the first, it's worth noting that in both songs' depictions, whatever you take on the activities... The door to the house is always open. Mike, would you pull up those slides? I was thinking about that open door, these means of grace, this yearning for relationship with Christ. Last week, during my, my visit to the Whitney Plantation in Louisiana, Of all the plantations you can tour just outside of New Orleans, there's only one with a focus on the history of slavery. It's the Whitney. It was reopened uh, or opened for the first time to the public in 2014 with a dedication to telling the lives and the life stories of some of the youngest people ever called property. This haunting figure you see there is based on 
the image and, and reality of an actual person. They're all over the plantation. An artist made these beautiful statues for us to remember them. When you go in, you're given a pass with a tag on it that gives you the child's name, the year they were born, a memory. Many of these children's stories we only know about because the WPA gracefully gave writers in the early 20th century the means to go out and record the recollections, the remembrances of these children who were just young enough, uh, just young enough to, to still be commodities, but to be alive at that time still, in the early 20th century, to, to share their stories, their testimonies for posterity. Without this, this organization from the WPA, we, we wouldn't have many of these stories. It's incredible. I was really struck. Would you go to the next slide, Mike? There's a garden um, at the plantation that has more birth dates, hundreds of birth dates, of children who died at a very young age, some at birth, some just a few months after, in slavery. And paired with those dates and names, more quotes, more remembrances. Many of their remembrances were hard to read. Talking about the, uh, the, the watchful eyes of young children watching their mother be sold off. And some made space to talk about the games they remember playing. The snacks that they were given. What means of grace, I wondered, allowed for them to remember to put back together what was human about that experience. What humanity in them reclaimed and persisted until their old age. I was thinking about that open door, these means of grace this past week when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who in the days leading up to her, quote, upset victory in the New York Democratic primaries, decided to join protests at the U.S.-Mexican border at the ICE detention center instead of laboring to win in that last week. What means of grace, besides being outspent roughly 18 to 1, enabled the young activist to continue showing and speaking up for what is right. What means of grace allow us to go home again and again and again? And how might we live if we practiced not letting what's going well or not so well in our lives define us, lest our joys and concerns, our contrived delights and potential dreads become enclosures. Good schools, 
good jobs, good neighborhoods, good friends, good children, good times. There's no harm or at least no escape in wanting good things to happen to us or certainly in striving for good things on behalf of others. No, the harm is not in wanting good things, but in refusing to grow out of them. Someone's knocking at the door. Somebody's ringing the bell. Do me a favor. Amen.